How you respond to Jesus determines your destiny. The story that I just read for you is commonly called the triumphal entry of Jesus. Historically, it occurred at the beginning of Passover. Passover was the greatest Jewish holiday that had ever taken place, for it commemorated the tremendous Exodus event where God liberated the Israelites from Egyptian captivity. Every year, Jewish pilgrims migrated to the sacred city of Jerusalem and they began a week-long festivity called Passover. Historians tell us that at this time in history that nearly two million people converged on the sacred city. That's a massive crowd. Let's put that number in perspective. That is saying that nearly half of today's population of the state of Alabama in those days converged on the sacred city of Jerusalem. That is a massive crowd, two million individuals. We call the events of this particular day, as recorded in Luke 19, Palm Sunday. For us as Christians, this marks the beginning of Passion Week. It marks the beginning of Holy Week, that moment when Jesus triumphantly entered Jerusalem for the very last time of his life. For the very last time of living here on earth, Jesus entered on Palm Sunday. And before the week would be out, he would uh, go to Calvary's hill for you and for me and his dead body would be placed into a borrowed tomb a stone would be rolled in front of it but on the third day Easter Sunday morning Jesus would raise from the dead and this great glorious week culminates on Easter Sunday morning everything about Christianity rises and falls on the events of Holy Week between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday now Luke is communicating the motif that Jesus is king of all kings. He had just spoken that great parable, the parable that we talked about last week, how uh, Jesus is the appointed king and how he called his servants together and gave them one mina each, promised them, I will go away, but I will certainly come back. And when I come back, I'll settle the accounts with every one of my servants and every one of my citizens. And Jesus communicates that story to say that he certainly is the king of all kings. He will go away for a mighty long time, but one day he will split the eastern sky and he will return and he will settle the accounts with all of us his servants and all the citizens of the entire world which represent his jurisdiction because he is king of all kings Luke continues this motif that Jesus is king this is the theme of the passage because Jesus is the one who calls all the shots he's the one who pulls all the strings of this story Jesus is the one who predicts with accurate, vivid clarity events that will take place before they even happen. Who else can do that other than the King of all kings? And so Jesus is the King of all kings. He is approaching uh, Jerusalem. He has been on this journey for a mighty long time, even as early as Luke chapter 9. He resolutely set out for Jerusalem. You'll recall that last Sunday, he was in that great city of Jericho, some 17 miles outside of the sacred city. And so for 17 miles, many people have been traveling with him. They approach the Mount of Olives. They get to those two villages, the one Bethphage and the other Bethany. And Jesus 
tells two anonymous disciples. We don't know who they are. Apparently, we don't need to know who they were. And he says to two anonymous disciples, go into that village. You're going to find a colt tied there, one that has never been ridden. I want you to untie it. And if the owners ask you, why are you untying my colt? I just want you to tell them the Lord needs it. And that will settle it. And sure enough, the two unnamed disciples make their way in obedience. They go into the village, probably the one named Bethany. They find it just as Jesus had foretold. There was a colt that was there, never been ridden. In fact, it is as if that colt had been created for one purpose, just to carry the Christ into Jerusalem. That colt was made for only one rider, the Lord Jesus Himself. And they found the colt that had never been ridden. They began to untie it. Jesus knew that their actions could be misinterpreted as robbery. And certainly the owners of that colt said, Hey, what are you doing? That's my colt. Now the truth of the matter is, they weren't stealing anything because you can't steal what already belongs to you. Jesus is the King of all kings. And in that context, to be declared king is to say that Jesus owns you and He owns me and He owns everything in His kingdom, including a colt that had never been ridden. So He's not stealing anything. He's just reclaiming something that belongs to Him already. But He says, I understand that people might misinterpret your actions as stealing their colt. I want you to tell them the Lord needs it. Jesus understood he didn't need permission. He just offered a word of explanation. And that word of explanation was enough. Jesus needs it, that settles it. In fact, you look at the story, that's the end of the conversation. They don't offer up any rebuttal. They don't say, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. They just say, okay, the Lord needs it, that settles it. It's not that Jesus had prearranged this deal. It's not that he somehow had, had sent uh, an entourage ahead of him. No, Jesus just knows how everything's going to go down because he's the one who calls the shots. He's the one who pulls the strings. He's the one who has the capacity to accurately, with vivid clarity, predict what's going to happen before it even takes place. He is king. It's at this point of the story that I'm always humbled and astonished. I'm humbled and astonished because Jesus could accomplish His purpose with or without me. I mean, he doesn't need you to accomplish His divine purpose. He doesn't need me to accomplish His divine purpose. He didn't actually need that colt. He could have conjured up a colt merely by speaking it into existence, right? I mean, He is the Creator of all things. He is the creative arm of the Trinity. He speaks and everything comes into existence. So certainly Jesus could have just conjured up a colt with a wink of an eye. But instead, He invited two anonymous disciples to go into that village. And He also invited the unnamed owners of that colt into redemptive history. He invited them in. And he invited them to come and obey him. He just simply said, the Lord needs it. And that settled it. You know, this is where I'm humbled and astonished because the Lord doesn't need me, but he has invited me. And the Lord doesn't need you, but he has invited you into his story. 
Because you know that history is his story. It's his redemptive plan. It's his purposes. It's his divine will. And because of his grace, because of his kindness, because of his mercy, he's invited flawed individuals like you and like me into his purposes. So there may be times when Jesus even says of you, the Lord needs your time. The Lord needs your talent. The Lord needs your financial resources. The Lord needs your ministry. The Lord needs your service. The Lord needs your passion. The Lord needs your willing spirit. The Lord needs your objectives. The Lord needs your calling. The Lord needs your agenda. Things that seem so trivial, so so insignificant, especially when we compare it to the cosmos of all of eternity, It's a speck on the spectrum, yet the Lord says, I need it. And that simply settles it. Oh, my friends, may we be as obedient as the owners of that colt. Jesus showed up, said, you have something that I need in order to accomplish my purpose. I invite you into my story. Won't you come? And may we say unto the Lord, you need it? That settles it. They got the colt. They took it back up the hill. Uh, gave it to Jesus. The disciples began to take off their cloaks. That's their outer garments, their jackets. They put them on the colt to do a makeshift saddle. They hoisted Jesus on top of it. And Jesus began to make His way down the Mount of Olives into the valley before ascending into the eastern gate of the city of Jerusalem. Now keep in mind that uh, there is a a massive crowd that's with him. There have been a lot of people following him from Jericho. They had made the 17-mile trek. They had heard the sermon along the way. They knew the parable that Jesus had spoken. He acknowledged he was the king of all kings, and he was going to usher in the kingdom of God. He would go away only to come back again. I mean, they are a a, a mob of individuals. It's It's a frenzied fan base. They treat Jesus as if he was like a rock star. It's Matthew, when he describes what's going on, uh, he says that there's a crowd that's surrounding Jesus in front of him and behind him. If you wonder how did there become a crowd in front of him, I think what happens is that as they uh, make the crest and as they uh, peep over the Mount of Olives and they see uh, there the holy city of Jerusalem, I've already told you that some two million pilgrims had already made their way to the sacred city. And when they hear all the commotion and when they look up the Mount of Olives, they see uh, Jesus riding on a colt. And they go out and they uh, go out the, the gate. They go up the hill. And so there are people meeting him and behind him and surrounding him. Most historians say that in this moment of the triumphal entry, before Jesus even makes his way into the gate, there are 250,000 people on the Mount of Olives. That's a massive crowd. Once again, let's put that in perspective. The current population of Pelham, I've been told, is about 25,000 residents. That means that on this ancient day in the sacred city of Jerusalem, there were 10 times the current population of Pelham right there on the Mount of Olives. That's a massive crowd. And what are they saying? They're saying, here comes our king. He is the king of all kings. He is Messiah. 
Now, Matthew, Mark, and John, they also uh, describe this event. They do something that actually you would think that Luke would have done as well, but he doesn't do it. Matthew, Mark, and John, they, they quote from the prophet Zechariah. For in Zechariah 9.9, it says, Behold, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, see your king is coming, bringing salvation, humble and gentle, riding on a donkey, the colt, the foal of a donkey. Matthew, Mark, and John, they say this is a divine fulfillment of that prophetic utterance from the lips of Zechariah. Now, Luke doesn't include that text, but he gives that implication because certainly Jesus is king of all kings, and he comes riding majestically, yet humbly. He comes riding to usher in God's kingdom for both Jew and Gentile. This is a massive crowd. Jesus is a rock star. People are going crazy. They're making their way down into the, uh, about to approach uh, uh, the valley to get to the city of Jerusalem. And Luke does tell us that as they make their way down the Mount of Olives, that the disciples, the crowd, they begin to joyfully praise God in a loud voice. Why? for all the miracles they had seen. I wish I'd been there on that hillside. I wish I'd heard what was going on in that moment. I can well imagine it became just a popcorn testimony praise moment when the disciples just began to reminisce about who Jesus is and what he had done over the last three years of ministry. I can well imagine that it was Peter who spoke up first because Peter always speaks up first. I can imagine that it's Peter who spoke up and said, Guys, do you remember when Jesus went to church and there was a woman there who was suffering? She had an infirmity for some 18 years. She was bent over, could not straighten up. And Jesus shocked everybody, and he called that woman forward. She shuffled her way forward, and when she got there, Jesus laid holy hands upon her. He said, woman, you're free from your suffering. And immediately, she straightened up, and Jesus got a standing ovation from the crowd. Guys, do y'all remember when that happened? And everybody on the hillside, they began to hoop and holler and applaud. And then it's Andrew who speaks up. And Andrew says, Peter, that was a great story. But guys, do y'all remember when we were traveling on that border between Samaria and Galilee, and there were 10 guys standing in the distance. We all assumed that they had leprosy. They kept saying, Jesus, have mercy on us. And Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priest. And with every step, those guys had skin that was healed. Their sores were dried up. Their white, flaky uh, patches of skin were made smooth again. And all ten of them were healed. Yet one of them came back and threw his neck, uh, threw himself around the neck of Jesus and could not stop thanking the Lord. And he, <laughs> he was a Samaritan because Jesus is king of all kings, not just the king of Jews, but also king of Gentiles, including those rowdy Samaritans. And all the crowd got in a frenzy and they celebrated and said, Hallelujah, here comes our Messiah. And James also spoke up. And James said, guys, all that's great. 
And Jesus certainly has power over disease. But do you remember when he demonstrated power over the demonic? We traveled on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and there some crazy man came up and met us, and he was like possessed by a legion of demons. I mean, he looked scary. He was weird, and Jesus never flinched. And Jesus asked him his name, and he said his name was Legion, and Jesus ordered for that legion of demons to be cast out into a herd of swine. And they went over the embankment into the Sea of Galilee. The crowd didn't know what to do with Jesus. The town didn't know what to do with Jesus. But that man, that man was sane. There was a sparkle in his eye again. He had been transformed. He had been changed. Jesus showed himself as powerful even over the demonic. And oh, that man wanted to come and follow us. Y'all remember that? He wanted to get into our boat. But Jesus said, go home and tell them what the Lord has done for you. And in obedience, that man turned around and walked and he joyfully praised the Lord all the while. And then it was John who spoke. And John said, guys, I, I remember all these miracles. But guys, do y'all remember when we were in that boat on that night? And a severe storm came up on the Sea of Galilee. We were all petrified, but Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat on a cushion. The rain fell with such force, it felt like needles puncturing our skin. And, and, and the wind was howling, and it whipped the boat from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other side. And the waves were so high that we were sure that we were going to drown because the water levels in the boat kept on rising. And somebody had the bright idea to go wake up Jesus. And somebody, I don't know who it was, went back there and said, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die? And Jesus stood up as if he had everything under control. And he walked to the front of the boat. And he only said two words, quiet, still, and everything was calm. The wind stopped howling. The rain stopped falling. And the waves were calm. And at that moment, we knew that this Jesus is King of all kings. He not only has power over disease and power over the demonic, but also power over all disaster. He is king of all kings. Do you guys remember this? And the crowd is going crazy. And Jesus isn't stopping them, is he? He accepts their worship. He accepts their praise. Luke says that they were throwing their cloaks on the road. Symbolic, they were throwing themselves at the feet of Jesus. And then someone in the crowd spoke up. Said, disciples, can I, can I stand and testify? And they said, absolutely. What's your story? What's your name? And he stood forth and he said, my name is Bartimaeus and I'm from Jericho. And just a few days ago, you guys came through and I was blind as a bat. I was a blind beggar. And when I heard that Jesus was walking by, I said at the top of my voice, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And I don't know who it was, but several of you told me to pipe down and be quiet. But I couldn't be quiet because I knew that Jesus was walking by. I said as loud as I could, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And apparently the master stopped and he ordered two of you to come and pick me up by my arms. And you, you brought me and plopped me right in front of Jesus. And Jesus, I'll never forget what you said to me. You said, what do you want me to do for you. And I said, I want to see. 
And you said your faith has made you well. Not only did you heal me physically, but you also healed me spiritually. Now I can see optically, but I can also see spiritually. Jesus, you transformed my life. And I said from that day on, I will follow you wherever you go. I've only been following for about 17 miles, but I've been following every step of the way from Jericho. The crowd went crazy. Then there was at least one more who stood up raised his hand, came to the front of the crowd, said, can I tell my story? And he said, sure. My name is Lazarus. And I'm from Bethany right over there. I died. And Jesus didn't even come to my funeral. And I thought we were BFFs. Now my sisters, Martha and Mary, had told me that I've been in the tomb for four days. And Jesus finally showed up. And Jesus came into our little neck of the woods and he came right to the cemetery, ordered for the stone to be rolled away, and then he called me by name. Lazarus, come out! I gotta tell you, he only had to call my name once. He didn't stammer, nor did he stutter. I knew exactly who he was. I recognized his voice. I heard it as clearly as I'm standing before you today. He said, Lazarus, come out. And I had to come out. When I came out, they said, unbind his hands and his feet because they were wrapped with strips of linen and they couldn't get them off fast enough. I came out doing the Holy Ghost hop. I came out doing the resurrection two-step. I came out doing the believer boogie. I came out doing the Harlem shake. I came out doing the divine dab. I came out doing worshipful whipping nene. I came out dancing. Why? Because my Savior had called my name. Lazarus, come out. I'm telling you, the crowd went crazy. They were like, yes, yes, this is our Messiah, Luke says. They said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Whenever we hear that, we always hear it with a lot of piety, don't we? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. But on this day, I promise you, they shouted at the top of their voice, Hey, here comes the king. Hey, blessed is the name of the Lord. Hey, here comes the one who gives peace in the highest glory in all of heaven. Here comes Jesus, the Messiah. You've got a quarter of a million people shouting this. And Jesus never tells them, pipe down. Jesus never tells them to be quiet. He welcomes the worship. There are a few naysayers in the crowd. The Pharisees come up. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. That word rebuke is a strong term. Correct them, for they have misplaced worship. Correct them, for they've done something incorrect. Rebuke. Your disciples. Set them straight. Rebuke your disciples. What they fully anticipated was for Jesus to say, you know guys, they are getting a little out of hand, aren't they? It is a little loud in here, isn't it? They probably do need to pipe down just a bit. He doesn't say any of that, does he? He says, I tell you, if these are quiet, even the stones will cry out. 
If these what? If these people. If these people are quiet, my testimony of transformation will not be snuffed out. You can't mute the Messiah. Even if people are quiet, even if they are silent, even inanimate objects like rocks will cry out to how glorious the Creator is. i got to be honest with you, I do not want a rock to take my place in praising God. I'm not the smartest guy, but I'm not dumb as a rock. I don't have rocks for brains, but I do know that my feet are firmly planted on the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. For my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. And I dare not trust my sweetest frame, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Church, I know there are times for silence. Jesus says this ain't one of them. Because if we are quiet, even his testimony will continue. For the rocks will cry out. i got to tell you this morning, I, I came to church just to praise His holy name. I praise Him because I don't want a rock to take my place. I praise Him because He has touched my life. I praise Him because He has changed me. I praise Him because He has healed me. I praise Him because He has forgiven me. I praise Him because He has saved me. I praise Him because He has reconciled me to God. I praise Him because He's made a way out of no way. I praise Him because He's just flat good. I praise Him because He is awesome. I praise Him because He is God and I am not. I praise Him because He's worthy of my praise. I came this morning just to stand and shout and say that Jesus is good. I want to be between a rock and a good place, and I'll praise the Lord all the day of my life and all of eternity. Praise His holy name. This thunderous applause of praise quickly turned to a sour note of condemnation. The next few verses are only included in Luke's Gospel. No other Gospel writer includes what Luke has in verses 41 to 44. Jesus looks upon Jerusalem and He weeps. The word weep means that He strongly sobbed he cried uncontrollably. Jesus lost it. He, he was crying profusely as he looked upon Jerusalem. He said, if you, even you, had known what would bring you peace, now it is kept from you. What Jesus proceeds to do is he accurately predicts what will take place in 70 A.D., when the Romans will come in and destroy the holy city of Jerusalem and tear down the temple. Jesus says your enemies will build an embankment around you. They will lay siege upon you. They will hem you in and encircle you. They will dash your heads against the ground, both you and your children within your walls. And they will thoroughly destroy you. 
what he predicts is exactly what happens when the Romans come in in 70 AD, 40 years after Jesus accurately foretold this, and a decade after Luke actually wrote his gospel. So once again, Jesus is communicating this king motif that he is the king of all kings. He knows where the cult lives, and he also knows what's going to happen in Jerusalem in the future. He knows the future as certainly as he knows the past and the present. And Jesus says the reason this will happen is because you did not recognize God's coming to you. That word that's translated God's coming is God's visitation. You did not recognize God's visitation to you. What is God's visitation? It's the self-movement of God. It's God getting down on our level. It's sending Himself in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is God wrapped in flesh. He came through the birth canal of a virgin girl. He was born in a Bethlehem barn. He lived a perfect life. He came to Jerusalem to usher in the kingdom of God. He was to die on the cross for your sins and for mine. He would be placed into a borrowed tomb. On the third day, he would rise again. This is God's visitation. And Jesus says, don't miss the moment. Because you've missed the moment, not one stone will be left on another. There will be complete destruction. My friends, I realize that ours is not the nation of Israel. I get that. I also understand that we are not the Jewish people. I know that. But don't miss the biblical principle. In this story, what Jesus says in the first century, he says it as loudly as he can in the 21st century. He says it to our nation as certainly as he said it to the nation of Israel. Jesus says this principle to anyone and to everyone. And here's the principle, don't miss it. Receiving Jesus as king reaps eternal blessing. Rejecting Jesus as king reaps devastating destruction. It doesn't matter who you are or when you live, that principle is eternal. It is true. Receiving Jesus as king reaps eternal blessing. Rejecting Jesus as king reaps devastating destruction. It's as true for you as it's ever been. Your reception of Jesus is no less glorious. Your rejection of Jesus is no less catastrophic from what he says here in the first century. Jesus wants everyone to know he is the king of all kings. Receive him as king you'll have eternal blessing. Reject him as king, you'll have devastating destruction. You can take it to the bank. It's as good as done. Because he is king. He calls the shots. He pulls the strings. He even can predict your future before it even happens. How you respond to Jesus determines your destiny. I want you to notice that I said that you have to receive him as king. I'm not saying you have to, I'm not implying that you've got to walk down an aisle, you've got to pray a certain prayer, you've got to have your name on a membership roll. No, I want you to hear clearly Jesus says, I am king, and in that day and time to be king meant he owns you. He calls the shots. He pulls the strings. He's the one who's in charge, not you, not me, not anybody else. When we receive him as that king, we reap eternal blessing. 
if we reject him as that king, devastating destruction. I find it interesting that stones are mentioned all throughout the text. Stones of celebration, stones of condemnation. If my people are silent, these stones will cry out in celebration. He says of Jerusalem, not one stone will be upon another, a stone of condemnation. Yet Jesus knows in his mind that there will be another stone at the end of the week. For when Jesus dies on the cross and his body is placed into a tomb, a large stone is rolled in front of it, and that stone is both celebration and condemnation. But on the third day, God the Father removed the stone. An angel came down and sat upon it. And God rolled that stone away not to get Jesus out, but to get you and me in to realize that Jesus had been raised from the dead. For those of us who are in Christ, that is a stone of celebration. Jesus is alive. He is king of all kings. For those who reject Jesus, that is a stone of condemnation. He has proven once and for all that he is Christ. He is Messiah. He is king of all kings. To reject him is to reap upon yourself devastating destruction. So this morning, can you celebrate? Don't be as dumb as a rock. Receive Jesus as Christ. He is king. To receive Jesus as king reaps eternal blessing. To reject Jesus as king reaps devastating destruction. So this morning, let's declare Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We give the invitation. Have your way in our midst. May this be a crowd. We know we're not 250,000 strong, but may this be a crowd that declares once and for all that you are king. In Jesus' name, amen.